And I want to continue in what we've been looking at and discussing over the last several weeks uh, in talking about faith. And I've been trying to look at it through some different lenses. And uh, hopefully you uh, leave today a little bit challenged in your faith and in your worship. If you don't have steel toe boots, it's probably a good thing to buy for when you come to church. Because pastor's got some stuff to say. <laughs> All right. I want you to open up. We've been just hitting little parts of this, but open up to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. And if you study the word of God, you've been around a little bit, you understand that the book of Hebrews is really what we call the hall of faith. And it outlines many of your favorite Bible stories and what these men and women did for God. And they did it through faith. And it really just, I love it because it sums up that it wasn't by their might or by their strength or by, uh, you know, some personal personality thing that they had that they achieved all that they did. Hebrews 11 just clarifies and it says, if you want to know how these great men and women did things for God, they did it by faith. Everybody just say by faith. They worshiped through faith. They moved mountains by faith. They parted the seas by faith. Everything they did was by faith. But Hebrews 11 verse 4, we come to a very interesting Story, And we're going to jump back between Hebrews and Genesis quite a bit today. But let me read this. It says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So, I'm going to break this down a little bit this morning, and, and just so you know, I'm, I'm typically about a four or five page noter. I've got 13 today. I just skipped four. So if I, I, don't, I don't say that to threaten you to hold your lunch if you don't shout me down good. I, I say that to, to just let you know if I seem like I'm jumping around, it's because I'm trying to get from 13 to just a few. And as somebody said before church, well, then it should be a part two, or, but I already know what God wanted me to speak about next week. So I got to cram it in here today. So are you ready for this? So we have this very interesting story. And if you've been around church a while, you know probably the story of Cain and Abel. They were the direct descendants of Adam and Eve. And Adam would have shown Cain and Abel and taught them about sacrifice and how to bring an offering to the Lord and so we find this unique story in the book of Genesis where God accepts Cain's offering but rejects Abel's offering. And it's a staggering thing because you would think that God would just be happy to get an offering. Like somebody brought him something. But what's interesting about God and what we're going to discover today is God was very specific on what he requested an offering to be, where it was to be brought, how it was to be brought, and what it was to be. So I want us to jump back to Genesis chapter 4. So if you have a paper Bible today, just keep your, your hand in between the two because uh, we're going to jump back and forth between them. And we're going to read in verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time... 
Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offerings. But Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you did what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you did not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We're going to break this verse down, but there are several things that I want us to take note of, especially if you're taking notes today. Number one is that there was a specific place for worship. There was a place for worship. We see this because of the fact that they brought things to the Lord. They, they, they physically brought offerings to the Lord. So that would mean there had to be a specific place of inst- that they were instructed to bring offerings. Some scholars actually believe that it was actually at the garden, the entrance of the Garden of Eden. If you remember back earlier in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and fell, God actually threw them out of the garden and put an angel with a fiery sword in front of the garden so that they couldn't go back into it. Actually, do you know the reason that he didn't want them to go back into it? Because if they would have eaten of the tree of knowledge in a sinful state, they would forever be cursed to always be in that sinful state. So throwing them out of the garden was actually saving them from themselves. So he threw them out of the garden. So some you know, theologians say, well, that's probably they brought it to the entrance of the garden where they weren't allowed to go. And you might ask, well, where's that today? We don't know because when later on, it, it, when the flood would come from Noah, it really just reorganized the whole earth. So we don't exactly know where that is. But I want you, what I want you to know is that God had a specific place. They couldn't just bring their offerings anywhere. He said, there's a place for your offerings. So God outlined a place. He established a time for their offerings. Verse 3, it says, in the course of time. Actually, in the Hebrew, it literally says, at the end of days. So that at the end of a certain period of time, they were to bring this offering or their worship or their sacrifice. They couldn't do it just whenever they felt like it, whenever, you know, whim they wanted to do. No, he said there's a certain place, there's a specific time that I want you to bring your offering. And I want you to understand their offerings in this time was a a form of worship. So today I'm going to exchange offering for worship quite a bit. So there was a place and there was a time for their worship. And thirdly, there was an established sacrifice for their worship. There was a specific thing that they were to give, a certain offering that was acceptable. And it would appear that God would have given each of them specific information about what that thing was to be, what he expected of them. So with all of that knowledge, why was Abel's sacrifice better? Why was it better? Well, One of the reasons is, or let me say this, better worship has nothing to do with our preferences. That's why I wanted you to see all that. God established the place, 
He established the time and he established what he wanted. Who established? God. He said, here's the place, here's the time, and here's what I want. That I will look at and say, that's acceptable to me. So we have to be very careful in our society because we have a tendency, especially as the American church, that we want to do whatever we feel like doing, when we want to do it. Yeah, just preach for me. That's... Somebody get these people a mic up here. The anointing's all going down there. But you don't have to look too far within the church or outside of the church to realize that we have a society that does not like to be told what to do, when they should do it, or how they should do it. We have taken our freedom to such a place where now we believe that we have no master and would want no master. Really, you always have a master because if you're not serving God, then you're serving the enemy or you're a master to your desires or you're a slave to your wants or you're, you're overcome with the desire for success. You always have a master in your life, whether you believe it or not, you're always serving something. So when God would outline in scripture and he would say, when it comes to my worship, I'm going to appoint the place, the time, and what I want. We live in a generation that would say, well, I'll tell you what, God, I'll give you what I want, when I want, and wherever I feel like doing it. And you should be grateful that I chose to carve out a piece of my day and even acknowledge you because I'm busy. So God looks at our offerings and he says, there are some that I will look at and accept and there are other forms of worship that I look at and I say that, I deny. Why? Because he has a place, a time, and a certain thing. First of all, when it comes to our worship, we always have to approach him on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus would allude to this when he would not allude it, he clearly said it when he said, no one would come to the Father except through me. You can't even get to God without first acknowledging the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can't worship him apart from having received him as our Savior. So worship must always begin with the repentance of sin and being right with God. Worship always must begin with that, that I'm in right standing with God. There are other kinds of worship. There's worship with our giving. And this isn't the basis of my message today, but the Bible clearly outlines that when it comes to our worship, giving is a huge part of that. He says that we give our tithe, which means a tenth. That part belongs to God. That's the principle. It goes all through scripture. There's outside of your giving, there's physical acts of worship. And I want to touch on this for a minute. Physical acts of worship where he says in scripture that we should lift our hands in the sanctuary. The idea of people sitting quietly in church is a lie 
that was perpetrated on the living church by a dead church. You won't find a place in scripture where the people of God got together and there weren't shouts of praise. There wasn't rejoicing. I mean, they, Miriam had to be told to be quiet with her tambourine because, you know, she was just too wild with the thing. David, you know, his own wife looked at him because he's out dancing in the streets in his underwear. Because when the people of God comes together, there's supposed to be a sound that's released from the house that God listens for. And he says, that's the sound of my people rejoicing, not because they have it all together, not because everything's right in their world, not because they have everything they ask for, but because they recognize that I'm God and I'm on the throne and I'm in control and they've surrendered their lives to me so therefore they rejoice because God's still God. Shouting is the sound of victory. Come on somebody. Clapping is a sound of victory. Rejoicing is the sound of victory. So when we come together there's supposed to be this sound that's released from the house of God. This is all throughout your Bible. Lift your hands. It has great significance. Your Bible says to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Well, that's not my style. He outlined a place, a time, and what he wants. I believe there's a call today for wholehearted, wholly engaged Physical worshipers. Physical worshipers. Your Bible says that we are to dance before the Lord. Some of us better than others. My son keeps trying to teach me to do that thing. Ain't happening. But he doesn't ask us, well, what's your preference? He doesn't say, what would you feel comfortable doing? Actually, he never asked us about our comfort at all throughout all scripture. All right. We lift our hands because it has great significance. Why? Because he told us to. We lift our voice because it has great power and effect. We ha- clap our hands because it's one of the ways that God commanded us to worship. We jump and we dance before the Lord, not because we feel like it or we're super Christians, but simply because it's what God asked us to do. He said, this is how you approach me in worship. Amen? So worship has nothing to do with our preference, but always has to do with God's preferences. Always. Genesis 4, what we're reading is really what God asked them to do. And as I said, we first start off by knowing that we are right with God. And then beyond that, we approach God sacrificially. And the reason that he asked us to do that is because it has much more to do with the building of our faith and receiving what he wants to do in our lives. I've heard it said by atheist people that what kind of God 
would command you to worship in such a way, like is he that vain that he needs your praise? He don't need it. He existed before he ever created this whole people plan. He don't need it. And do you really think that your voice is that angelic, that it's, it's, it's piercing through the, the millions of angels gathered around the throne, and it's like God's like, oh, here she is, here she is. Shh, shh, Gabriel, quiet. She's, she's on. Typically, he requires us to do it for one of two reasons. Is One, because he wants us to let the adversary know that he's not winning. Because I could look at my world and say, well, I got this problem and this situation and this circumstance isn't working out. And I'd have a lot of reasons to sit down, be quiet, shut up, hang my head and just, you know, say, why doesn't God love me? But when the enemy's thrown it all at me and I can still stand up and lift my hands and lift my voice, it's letting the enemy know you've given me all that you could give. And I'm still standing in the house of the Lord. I'm still declaring that God is a good God. I still got a praise on me. You won't silence my praise. The second reason that I believe God would command us to do it is that we would learn how to discipline ourselves to grow our faith to receive what God wants to give us. It's more about are you willing to sacrificially give God praise when there's nothing in you that feels like it? When everything in your world is crumbling down, when you're just tired today, just not in the headspace today, where you sacrificially bring his praise into the house. Romans 12.1, listen to this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Why I wanted to bring that out today, because a lot of people would say, well, I've given God my heart. He knows my heart. And after all, God looks on the heart. Right? That's scripture. But here in Romans, he says, I, I therefore, this is after you're saved. He's got your heart. He's speaking to brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. He says, I've got your heart. You're saved. You're, you're spirit-filled. You're on your way to heaven. God's got you. All of that. But he says, there's something beyond just the heart. He says, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper form of worship. You've already received the forgiveness of sins. You're already made righteous in the eyes of God. But beyond that, there's something that we have to do with our bodies to present to him as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. We get stuck at salvation. He's got my heart. He's got my heart. He forgave me of my sins. He's got my heart. And do you know, if, if, if you've, come to the Lord and you've confessed your sin and you've invited Christ into your heart, you're saved. But how many of you know, you can get stuck at saved. And you just stay stuck at saved. And never walk into the fullness of everything that's outlined in this book that God has planned for you. 
There's more beyond salvation. He says, I've come that I could give you life and life more abundantly. I want you to have an effect in the earth. I want you to go and tell. I want you to offer right worship. I want you to shake nations. I want you to win people for God. I want you to be on fire with your faith. I want when the enemy hears you get out of bed in the morning, he runs screaming of the other direction because you are awake on the earth. There's more that God has for your life than just saved. So that's why we sing. That's why we clap. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we rejoice. Well, I don't like singing. Well, get over yourself. Yeah, we're that type of church. Why? Because we're not here to do what we like. I mean, if we're real, real, real honest... I could fill my Sunday mornings with other things that I probably like more. And you probably could too. But that's not why I'm here. So if I'm carving out the time to come into the house of God, to worship God, then I at least should put in the full effort to give him what he's asking for. Come on, somebody. Because it is possible to offer God worship and to offer him a sacrifice that he looks on and says, that's not pleasing to me. I know that seems like abrasive and rough to some people, but let's just call it what it is. The Bible tells us how we are to worship. So we present our bodies, we offer this sacrifice. And that's where Christian living begins. When we get beyond saved and we realize there's more to this thing that God wants us to walk out. Some would say, well, I hear all that, Pastor, but God knows I love him. He knows that I love him. And we think the fact that God knows that you love him somehow cancels out every other thing that you're doing. That we can live with our bodies any way we want to. Because God knows we love him. That we don't have to follow scripture or live holy or, or try to you know, live right as God would command us because after all, he knows that we love him. Doesn't matter if we're sleeping with somebody we're not married to. It doesn't matter if we're looking at pornography. It doesn't matter if we're cheating somebody in business because after all, God knows that I love him. Can I tell you it matters? Because beyond salvation, he says, you're to walk this thing out. You're to live a certain way. And that offers pleasing worship to God. So we have to be careful not to somehow view what's happening in our hearts as what's ha and what's happening in our lives as two separate things. You with me? But what's happening in our hearts and what's happening in our lives are very much intertwined. Listen, if you don't pay attention to the actions of your body, it will get your soul in trouble. What you do physically affects you spiritually. What I do spiritually should affect me physically. If there's a disconnect, well, you know, the church is about my soul and my spirit thing, and it shouldn't really have anything to do with how I live. Well, you've got this thing wrong. You've got it right when 
something happens in the heart and it's expressed physically. That's why even the Bible says you can't even get to God with just believing in your heart. Right? The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Then you are saved. He says it happens here, but it's not manifest till it comes out of here. Are you with me? So everything that's happening spiritually should always have an outward expression physically. Sin will take advantage of our body. If we give sin a foothold in our body, it becomes the base of operations for sin to work its effect on the soul. Satan knows this. So he knows if I can get him to sin a little bit over here, a little bit down there, it's given me a base of operation to expand my territory. And I may not be in their soul yet, but if I can keep them physically in sin, eventually it will come and invade their soul. Come on, somebody. One piece of cake ain't going to wreck your whole diet. But sometimes if, you know, if you've ever dieted, you know that one piece of cake can be an entry. I'm preaching to me. It's like 7.30 in the morning and I've already eaten that donut. But it's like, well, I've already eaten the donut. The whole day's wasted. Therefore, let's go. You know what I mean? I'll start. But anybody else in the house with me there? Now, but it's, it's so simple, but it's the same operation of the enemy. He's not going to come and tempt you with some big, outward, explosive sin. No, 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 no. He's going to come in with a small, minute thing and have you think negative about somebody else or gossip about somebody else. Something real surfacey like that. But the more you entertain and the more you do it, the bigger and stronger the foothold of the adversary gets. And suddenly, before long, you turn around and you realize my outward, what I'm doing with my body is now beginning to affect the condition of my soul. So that's why sometimes we worship physically even when we don't feel it. Because I have to remind my physical body that it is subject to my spiritual man. You know, that's why the Bible commands us to fast. It's not going on a hunger strike against God. It's always reminding your body you are subject to the spirit man. The physical body's not in control. Emotions aren't in control. Desires aren't in control. Cravings aren't in control. The spirit is in control. And the more you fast, the more you get, hey, that's just a hunger pain. I can get through that. I've done this before. I can go here again. And the stronger your spirit man gets. Come on, somebody. So that's why sometimes God says, I know you have every reason to hang your head and cry, but in this minute, I need you to lift your hands and to shout, even when you don't feel like it, because you're reminding your physical body what your spirit already knows, that God is on your side. Serving God with your physical body will strengthen your spiritual life. When you serve, it strengthens you spiritually. When you give, it strengthens you spiritually. When you meet needs of other people, it strengthens your life spiritually. When you lift your hands, it strengthens your life spiritually. When you sing, it strengthens your life spiritually. When you pray and lift your voice to God, it strengthens your life spiritually. Come on, somebody. There's something called spiritual disciplines. And we don't want to hear that, but there's something called spiritual disciplines. It means you subject your body. You discipline your body to do what your spirit man knows is right to do. 
You have every reason in the world not to get up 15 minutes early and get into this book and read what it has before you start your day. I know you've got every reason. Your kids were up, you know, you had a bad night's sleep, you know, the sun's not even coming up as early anymore. It's like, you don't hate that and it's dark and it's like, you know, you have every reason in the world. But something happens when you push through your physical experience and say, no, 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 my spirit, above everything else today, my spirit needs this word. But here's the thing. We give God the sacrifice of praise, but it's really to our benefit. Because we never give God anything that he won't multiply back into our life. That's his promise. It's the principle of the law of harvest. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 11 says, As Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices, God looked upon their sacrifices. And when he looked at Abel's offerings, he was pleased. But when he looked at Cain's, he did not look on it with favor. Just a reminder that God is looking. He's not looking at even just what we give, but at what we are. At what we are. How you live is more important than what you give. If you live one way all week long, negative, angry, bitter, no regard for God, and somehow you walk into a church service, feel some tingles in your body and lift your hands, Well, God knows. Yeah, he knows. He knows. But he also knows that Paul and Silas could be chained in a prison where the sewage of the city ran through it. And in that moment where they believed that they would die, they had the ability to lift their hands and lift their voice and begin to sing praises to God. And so... When God looks at our lives and realizes, well, you know, I don't have everything that I want. You know, I don't have all the money that I want. I don't have the job somebody else was promoted. And we come to God and say, well, that's why I can't worship today. I'm going through a lot, God. I just want us to grasp this for a second. I'm preaching to me too. There are people and Christians all over the world, and this isn't to, to be a guilt trip. It's reality of what it is who worship in underground churches. You know, the, there are more people martyred in the last 50 years than were martyred for Christianity throughout history. It's not that it stopped, it's just that we don't see it. And I'm not saying God doesn't care about your problems, because he does. He perfects everything that concerns you, which means he cares about even the minute. But what I'm saying is there are people who will literally have their churches set on fire and killed and burned because they have chosen to worship God publicly. But I'll show up to church. Yeah, I'm just not feeling good today. And, you know, my kids, Jesus, please. I got to fight with my spouse. God understands. And he's looking like, you really have something, I mean, you really have something to complain about? 
you live in one of the most prosperous nations on the earth. When you got dressed this morning, you decided what pair of shoes you would pick out and wear. Did any of you ever watch that TLC show, 600 Pound Life? I saw a clip of it the other day, and there's a lady, she wasn't doing well on her diet. And Dr. Now is his name. And she said, well, I, I need to be careful, doctor, because I don't want to be malnourished. <laughs> and I love him because he just is, he's pretty rude. But he said to her, he said, malnourished. Malnourished, have you looked at yourself? He said, you have enough nourishment to last yourself years. Malnourished. He's just very abrasive. But sometimes we come to God and be like, God, my problems are just so big. They're, my problems are just so insurmountable. And God's like, you have no idea what real problems are. Come on, somebody. We have gotten so in love with our comfort as a society and as a church that any ounce of discomfort in our world and in our lives, we think that somehow God has to break through. Maybe God just wants you uncomfortable. Maybe that's just how it's going to be. Maybe we need to learn to be long-suffering. I don't know, but somehow we just got to put... My, prob, my point is we got to put our problems in the right perspective. Do you, you understand? Like this woman's worried about being malnourished. Like your problems aren't in the right perspective. All right, let me skip a few pages. I'll give you my first closing. How about that? So in closing, faith is the key element to offering God acceptable worship. Faith. Faith is the key element. We read that in Hebrews that through faith, Abel offered the more acceptable sacrifice. See, even to come in and lift your hands and sing a song and shout just because somebody told you to lift your hands and shout won't produce anything. I don't do it because, well, the worship leader said to, to stand, so I better do it. I don't do it because, you know, the pastor said, let's shout. Let, if you're doing it, then you're just nothing but just following orders. That's... But when you attach faith to it, it makes the difference. Now I lift my hands because I know God's in control. Now I lift my voice because I know God's on my side. Now I offer my body as a reasonable sacrifice unto the Lord because I know his plans are good. Do you understand? When there's faith behind it, it makes a difference. Faith creates fertile ground. Listen, both Cain and Abel heard the same instruction for worship from God. They both heard the same instruction. We all have to choose and be held accountable for the information that we receive. They both received the same instruction. One chose to follow, one chose not. And I love what God said to Cain. He said, listen, if you would have done well, you would have been received just like Abel. If you would have done good. It's not that I have a separate set of rules for this one over here and this one over here. You have to jump through different hoops. God said, it's all the same playing field for anyone. And if you do good, you'll be received. Right? 
So it's not that God just was like, you know, Abel, he's, he, you know, I like him better than Cain, and, you know, we get along better, so I'll take his, no, no, no. He followed these instruction. This is why we should be, or why we should not be worrying about someone else's sin in their life, or where somebody else is in their walk with God. Instead, we should be fixing our own problems. What began to happen is actually the scripture says that Cain, uh, his, his face became downtrodden, but actually the, 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 another translation says his face was burning red. He was so angry. Instead of downcast, his face become, became red. So angry about Abel and his offering, and why would God accept his offering? And So fixated on that. And listen, what I've discovered from that is being consumed with someone else and what they're doing is a clear sign that there's something wrong with your walk with the Lord. It's right there. He became so consumed with Abel and his offering that his face, the Bible says, burned red. Eventually, he would take his brother out and kill him because he was so angry. And isn't that what God said? He said, he said when he first talked to Cain, he said, Cain, but because you did not do good, sin is crouching at the door. You didn't do good, so sin is crouching. When you become so fixated on somebody else's life, it's a clear sign there's something wrong with my relationship. I often say that I don't know how some church people can be so bothered about other people. I got God all over me every day for all kind of stuff. I probably shouldn't have thought that about that person, and I shouldn't have said that. And that wasn't right. I talked to my wife wrong and I need to love my kids. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's like I'm so consumed with me and my house that sometimes I wonder how other people have time to worry about anybody else. The fact of the matter is they don't. So because their own house isn't in order, they're going to go over here and look at yours. But really, if you're living right, listen, I don't know what, I don't know what you got going on, what you're doing. I, all I can do is me. And my house. Amen. Faith creates fertile soil. Matthew 13. I'm going to read this quickly. Many of you know this is a parable of a sower. And this is the words of Jesus. He says, a sower went out to sow, verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." What I want you to see is obviously this, this parable Jesus is, is telling is about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works. And we've heard this preached when the word of God comes to you, it, it's the condition of your heart. And all of that is 100% true. But what I want you to look at is through this lens is the condition that the seed won in, what happened to the seed had everything to do with the atmosphere around it. If the atmosphere was good, Let's, let's boil the whole thing down, whether it was grainy soil or dry soil or rocky soil. The, the problem was it didn't have a good atmosphere. The atmosphere was bad. Seeds don't grow in bad atmospheres. 
your worship isn't effective in a bad atmosphere. Well, God, I'm going through the motions. I'm doing everything right. Faith makes the atmosphere right. I don't sing the songs because they're on the projector. Do you understand? If that's how we approach worship, we're missing it. And our, our praise and our worship isn't having any effect because we're just going through motions and we're just singing a song because it's on the projector and we're lifting our hands because that's what the worship leader said to do. And that's how we're approaching our worship as this robotic response to what somebody's telling us to do. But when I read the words on the projector and they become life on the inside of me, that yes, great are you, Lord, then suddenly I get a conviction and I get a stirring in my spirit that he's good, he's great, he's awesome, he's in control. Now I lift my hands and I lift my my voice, not because somebody told me to. I do it because out of the conviction of my heart, I understand that God is good and God is great. Do you see the difference? Faith makes the difference. Faith makes the atmosphere. What is faith? Faith is the expectation of things not yet seen. Actually, it says it's the evidence of things not yet seen. I do have to close, but Real quick, faith is the evidence of things we don't yet see. Some of you are like, I knew these charismatic churches. We... <laughs> faith is the evidence. What is evidence? Proof. So, I've got a problem. I can't fix it. Only God can fix it. Right? But I can open up this book and I can discover his promise. Now the promises of God aren't guaranteed to you. Despite popular belief, we just talked about it. To be on God's side, there's a place, there's a time. There's the, the promises of God will come into your life when you participate in the plan of God. Right, like he's not going to bless you financially, you know, and you're out spending money on every other thing and not saving nothing, not blessing other people, not giving your tithe, not sowing your offerings and not storing anything up in your storehouse. You're just frivolous with your money. And then we come in and we say, well, God, I'm supposed to lend to many nations. Well, you've been a bad steward. And that's not on God. Well, God, I, ha I have physical pain in my body, and, you know, and, and I don't know why you're not healing me. Well, you haven't worked out. You haven't exercised. You haven't taken care of the temple. You haven't given, you know, come on, this is the one temple he's given us on this planet. Let's start investing some time into it, somebody. Just challenging you a little bit this morning. But when we participate in the plan, then we can stand and say, all right, now the promises of God are guaranteed to work in my life. So atmosphere is critical, and we need to learn to protect it at all cost. And team, you can come. I want to read this little passage of scripture. Matthew 9, and I'm going to start in verse 20, very familiar. But I want you to see this. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, speaking of Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, this woman had a problem. Earlier in the verse, it says she spent all of her money on physicians and they couldn't help her. 
Nothing that they could do, right? She had a problem. Many people were gathered around Jesus that day. The Bible says there was a great thong of people around Jesus, all pressing him, all touching him. And if we know that we know her verse, the Bible says that she touched the hem of his garment and instantly Jesus felt something flow out of him and he said, who touched me? A crazy thing to ask when there's hundreds of people at least around you touching you. What do you, what do you mean who touched you? Because her atmosphere was different. They all touched him. They were all in the room. But her atmosphere was different. I'm bringing all this up to you today because I want your atmosphere to be different. I don't want you gathered around Jesus pressing and pressing and pressing and wondering why it's not working in your life when the answer is your atmosphere is wrong. But I want to show you where her atmosphere changed in verse 21. For she said to herself. All that reminds me of King David. David was going through some battles and the Bible says that he said to himself, why so downcast, oh my soul? He talked to himself. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Do you know what King David was doing? Changing the atmosphere through faith. Changing the atmosphere by faith. The Bible says that many times David would encourage himself in the Lord. Nobody else was around. Your prayer partner wasn't around. You got to get good at changing the atmosphere. And here's this woman. She said to herself, she could have said many things. She could have said, I tried every doctor. That didn't work. And this probably won't work either. She could have said to herself, look at all the people. I'll never get to him. I'll never reach him. It won't happen for me. But through faith, faith makes the difference. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made whole. And at that moment, she had evidence of her future coming healing. She hadn't even touched him yet. But it was already done. Why? Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. So she said to herself, if I touch him, I'll be made whole. And that faith changed the atmosphere. Are you with me? So when she touched the hem of his garment, that wasn't the moment. That wasn't her breakthrough. Her breakthrough came when she changed the atmosphere said if I if I touch him if I can get to him I'll be made whole the story goes on Jesus keeps walking verse 23 when Jesus came to the ruler's house he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion because a little girl had died they were already weeping already mourning I want you to see the atmosphere the flute players were playing family is crying and weeping. The whole town is distraught over this little girl's death. And in walks Jesus, verse 24, and he said, go away. It's a rude thing to say to people who are grieving. Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Listen. And they laughed at him. 
sometimes when you're about changing your atmosphere, they're going to laugh. They're not going to understand it. That's all right. I don't need you to understand it. I need him to understand it. They laughed at it. But here's what I want you to see. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. What was the atmosphere? Weeping, mourning. Before Jesus did anything, verse 25, he put the crowd outside. What did he do? He changed the atmosphere of the room. He changed the atmosphere. What are you expecting God to do? Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you on his side? To the best of your ability, are you serving God with every ounce of your being that you can? That he's on your side. So what are you expecting him to do? Because if you're expecting tomorrow to be just like today, then tomorrow will be like today. But if you're expecting him to do something significant, if you're expecting him to restore the marriage and bring back the wayward child, if you're expecting financial breakthrough, if you're expecting him to step into your situation, then you're changing the atmosphere. The hardest part about getting breakthrough in your life is changing the atmosphere. And that has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with you. Because he has a set place, set time, and how it has to happen. Getting breakthrough is not hard. I want you to understand that. Getting breakthrough is not hard. God, Pastor, but I got money problems. I got money problems. I got money problems. It's not going to work. All right. It's not hard. He has a set place, time, and what he wants. What did he say to do? Number one, be obedient in your giving, your tithes and your offerings. Give, and it shall be given back unto you, pressed down, shaking together, running over. There's the problem, there's solution. Do you expect the solution to work if you obey the principle? Easy. Do you understand? And I'm not just talking about money today. I'm talking about in every area of your life, physical problems, mental problems, emotional problems, marriage problems. It all is outlined in this book and breakthrough's not hard. The hardest part is us changing the atmosphere around our circumstance and not talking negative about our circumstance. And not speaking negative about our circumstances. Well, that's the way it's always been. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to stay. I don't know. My dad was that way. My grandpa's that way. And that's just in my blood. That's just who I am. Praise God. That's going to be who you are. But as for me and my house, I'm getting breakthrough. I'm seeing God do big things in my life. I'm going to press in for more. Let's stand to our feet. I know I hit a lot today. But I want us to get this. I want us to get it individually. Why? Because for you and your house, it's important. You know, there was somebody who uh, knew who was battling some sickness and they had this role. They said, listen, can't anybody just come in? Because you know when there's a bad report, everybody wants to come they said, listen, I got to protect the atmosphere. 
so unless they're coming in to speak words of life and faith to me, don't let them through the door. That's kind of what's They were fighting for their life. They didn't need somebody coming to their bedside saying, I'm so sorry. I'm going to take care of Bill, take care of Bill once you're gone. They don't need to hear that. Come on, somebody. They didn't need to hear that. They're fighting for their life. What they needed is somebody to come in and open up that book and say, God has an expected end for you. They need somebody to speak words of life. And then with the same thing, we have to get this individually. Is as, as parents, if we are saying about our kids all the time, I have one, and God convicted me this week of it. Oh, they give us a run for our money. They give us a run for our money. Well, okay. That's now my expectation. So when we get this individually, that our faith is creating the atmosphere. And when we create that right, our worship will then be effective. But above that, I want us to get this as a church. I want us to get this as a church. Because every Sunday, we gather here. But every Sunday, people that we don't know come in through these doors. And some of them, and even some of us, have major life crises that are going on. We need an encounter with God. Your Bible says that one can put a thousand, two can put ten thousand to flight. What I need is I need people in the room who know how to change an atmosphere. Not be a thermometer to tell me how good or bad it is. I don't need you to gauge it. I need you to change it. I need people to walk through the door so full of faith, so full of the promises of God. That's like, what do you need? You need prayer? You got something? You want something? What do you? Come on, I'll pray. Let's do this thing. So full of faith that when we start worship as a church, man, heaven's just open. That we don't gotta press for 20 minutes to try to get heaven open because you know it, it's you know it's it's daylight savings time or whatever you know and like and people are just down it's a tired weekend what no 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 we press through all of that because we understand that it's not about us it's about God God having established a set place a set time and what He wants and if we can lean into that we can create an atmosphere where anything is possible anything is possible anything. Jesus knew that and that's why he said, crowd, get out. You're not thinking right. So Father, I pray now over each person and over us as a church that God, you would help us if there have been areas of our lives where we have been a thermometer, if you will, of the situation. And we've expected nothing really to change or there to be no significant intervention from God on our behalf that you would correct that that you would help us to again stand and be people of faith and people of power and people who walk into dead dry seasons like Ezekiel when he walked into the desert and needed an army and he just began to prophesy to the four winds and suddenly an army of bones became an army with life giving flesh why because he understood how to change an atmosphere how to prophesy and call things that are not as though they were Father, help us be those people. Help us be light. Help us walk into our jobs and not be negative and grumpy and miserable, but give life-giving, encouraging words. Help us be a church 
that when we show up next Sunday morning, man, we're not waiting for somebody to sing our song to, to really feel it, but we approach worship, hands raised, hearts on fire for God because of who you are and what you are. Nothing more, nothing less. And we give you praise for it. If you believe it, let the church say amen.